be able to get to everything that I have in my notes, but I just want to speak whatever God wants to be said. And so, with the help of the Lord, that is what's going to happen tonight. Um, if uh, my verses could be put up, Genesis chapter 32, verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to be reading them in the ESV here. So Genesis chapter 32, verses 1 and 2. And so it goes like this. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. He said, the angels came and they met him, and he said, this is God's camp. The camp of God is here. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Mahanaim, in the Hebrew, it means two camps or double camp. There was two camps there. There was the camp of man, right? Jacob had set up a whole camp there. And so his camp was there, but the camp of God was there. And so with the help of the Lord, I'm going to be uh, speaking about a tale of two camps, a tale of two camps. And I think the English teachers here are going to kind of get the inspiration for that. But if you'd help me pray today, Jesus, in your name, we're so grateful, God, and thankful to be here on a Wednesday night, Lord. Jesus, to hear from you, God, to open up your word and to look into it, God, and to see what it is that you have for us and what it is that you're wanting to speak to us, God. Jesus, to help us and to encourage us, Lord, as you help us in this life, God, as we walk with you, God, as we talk with you, Lord. Jesus, I pray that your word would fall on the good ground of our hearts, God, that it wouldn't get snatched out by the cares of this life, God. But Jesus, in your name, God, that we could look to your word, God, to strengthen and to encourage us, God. And Jesus, in your name, God, we know that you're faithful to do it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. You could be seated. And I know I've already said it a little bit, but I really, truly love this church. And I love Pastor, Pastor Johnson and Pastor Jonathan um, and Bishop and just all the saints that I've talked with throughout the years, really all of you. Um, I just love this church and I'm grateful to be here. But so I'm just going to get right into it. Some of the best English literature is a book called A Tale of Two Cities and it starts like this. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic or the time of belief. It was the time of unbelief. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair, right? So it, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. And honestly, I haven't really read the book, but that's a pretty good paragraph, right? So, <laughs> sorry, Brother Agler. <laughs> so, but it was the best of times and it was the worst of times, right? And it seems to us that that would be contradictory. That doesn't make sense. How could it be the best and the worst at the same time? How could it be a time of belief and a time of unbelief at the very same time. But these words speak to a truth that we can see in most generations, in most times. Yeah, it's the best of times. We could say that about how things are right now. It's the best of times. 
But we could also say it's the worst of times. Which one is true, right? Which one is true? And it's counterintuitive, but both can be true at the same time. Both can be true at the same time. It, it was a time of belief, but it was also a time of unbelief. It was a time of foolishness, but it was also a time of wisdom, right? And we see that in narrative, opposites can be true at the same time. Opposites can be true at the same time. And so with the verses that we were looking at, we look at Jacob's life, that he was a twin, right? And so he was born a twin with Esau, and and Esau came out first, so he was the firstborn. And so he was supposed to get all the blessings. But what happened was, was he was really hungry one time, and so Jacob made him a, a pot of stew, and he literally sold his birthright for that. He sold his birthright for just some soup, basically. And then later, Jacob goes, and he basically steals Esau's blessing because Isaac, their father, was very old and blind and couldn't see and so he pretended to be Esau, and he put on skin, goat skins, and pretended to be Esau, and he took the blessing. And if you read that blessing, it's powerful for the heavens to be opened in Jacob's life and for the earth to give, to give harvest and increase for Jacob. And so he scams his brother out, and his brother wanted to kill him. His brother wanted to kill him, and it says that his mother told him to go away, go away, and I'll tell you when you can come back because your brother's so angry right now that he's literally going to kill you, so I'll tell you when it's safe, right? So their mom goes and sends him away, and he goes and he lives with their uh, family member, Laban, and he works for seven years, right? And he, he works that seven years so that he could get a bride, so that he could have Laban's daughter, right? But Laban tricks him. And Laban gives him the wrong daughter, right? But then he says, like, okay, I'll give you the daughter that you really wanted. And so he, but he has to work seven more years. And then he works six more years on top of that, taking care of Laban's goats, taking care of the flock. And um, so he works 20 years for Laban. And Laban was this really fleshly, carnal man who was constantly cheating Jacob. So Jacob cheated people, but then he got cheated. He got kind of played, right? Because Laban cheated him out of goats and, and made him take both the daughters, right? And so he had two wives, right? And if you have any questions about how marriage counseling works for Jacob and his two wives, you can ask Pastor Jonathan Quinones. That's above my pay grade. I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> but so we go and, and in the story, right before the, <laughs> I just make myself laugh. <laughs> All right. So, so in the story, right before what we read, chapter 31, he's fleeing from Laban and he's getting away from Laban. And so he goes and he takes his family, right, his wives and all the sons. He takes his family and he goes to the land of his fathers. He goes to the land that was promised to, to Abraham and to Isaac. And so he's going to that land, but Laban wasn't happy about it. Laban wasn't happy about it. And so Laban follows him. But when we look at, at 
where this happens is Jacob sets up camp. He sets up camp across a brook right before he's going to pass, trying to get close to, trying to get into the promised land, basically, trying to get into Canaan, trying to get into the land um, that Abraham and Isaac were in. So he has this camp set up. And this is kind of how I imagine it in like the Noah Wells translation, like the NWV, right? Is he has, he has his tent set up in the middle, right? So a whole tent set up. And he probably has the food tent set up right next to his tent that he's going to sleep in, right? So he could get like midnight snacks and stuff. And probably the wife that he liked, because one of them he liked more than the other, right? He probably, that tent was probably a little closer. And then the tent of the other wife and like those kids was probably way down that way, right? So it's all part of the same camp. It's all one camp. But the way that I imagine it is they were probably over there, right? And then maybe you have like over here, you have the livestock, right? You have um, like the cattle and the flocks of goats and all that, right? And everything that you need to take care of them, all their food is over there, right? So it's a camp. It's a huge camp. And it says that Laban comes up to him and makes camp near him. And they basically argue a little bit. And then Jacob basically has permission to leave. He has permission from God. God told him that he could leave. And then Laban eventually agrees, like, all right, we're not going to mess with each other like we're squared away, and we're good. And then, and then we get to our verses of Scripture that if, if we could go back into them. So Genesis chapter 32, verses 1 through 10. Genesis chapter 32, verses 1 through 10. And it goes like this. So they just finished working out their deal. Jacob and Laban are good. They're good. And Jacob doesn't have to deal with that fleshly man anymore, that carnal man who was scamming him and who was working him over, right? He doesn't have to deal with that man anymore. He doesn't have to deal with that fleshly carnal, that carnality. And so he's going back to his camp. And it says, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. Right? He hadn't seen the angels before, but they were there the whole time. He had set up his camp the way that he had it all set up. And what he didn't realize is that in that time, in that place, the angels were there too. But he just hadn't seen them. He just didn't know it. So he gets back to his camp and he's like, wait, the angels are here. And I imagine it like this, that they're basically walking through his camp. They're basically walking through, and not just like two, but a bunch of them. They're walking through, and there's so many angels there that he's basically saying, oh my goodness, this is the camp of God. I set up camp here, and I made camp here, but this is the camp of God, right? And so we go, and he's going to, so, so he just finished dealing with Laban, right? And he's about to go, and he's near the land of his brother Esau. So it says this in verse 3. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. 
And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you, and there are 400 with him. And in Jacob's mind, God told him to come back to the land, but he had never heard from his mother that it was okay to come back. His mom never said, like, okay, Esau's, like, cooled down, and you could come back whenever you want. He had never heard that. So to him, to hear that Esau is coming with 400 men, he's thinking that they're going to take everything that he has. Like, oh, you have all this good stuff that you've been blessed with. Well, Esau could have thought, that was mine. That's supposed to be mine, but you took my blessing, so I'm taking it back. That's probably the things that were running through Jacob's mind. And so it says in the next verse, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps. Two camps, right? The place was called Maenaim. Two camps, a double camp. There was a camp of God there and a camp of man there. But he splits what he has into two camps. And in verse 8, he's thinking, if I split, if I split up what I have into two camps... If Esau comes to one, the other is going to be able to escape. They can get away, right? And so Jacob splits his group into two camps. And isn't it amazing how we just barely read that he saw the angels. The angels met him, and they were through his entire camp. But suddenly, he's forgetting the promises, and he's forgetting about the provision and the protection of God and the encouragement of God, right? One day... He's walking with the angels, and it's like, oh, man, this is awesome, right? And then the next day, he's like, we're all going to die, or at least half of you are going to die, right? That's what he's thinking. And in our own lives, it's so easy that we could think, oh, man, Sunday, we have victory, and it's so awesome, and, and we just sprouted wings, and we're in the heavenlies, right? And then Monday, it's boom, back to earth, setbacks, Tuesday, mistakes, Wednesday, issues, problems, right? And so we have to deal with this, that, that we operate in, in spiritual things, but then we're in this life, right? And yeah, I have to go back to work on Monday, right? And that kind of stinks. But so, so he splits his camp into two camps. And when we look at verse 9 here, it says, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy, in in verse 10, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan. And now I have become two camps. He's saying, I have become two camps, right? That I've got so much that there's so much that you've blessed me with that I'm able, I I had nothing, but I'm able to to split up my camp into two camps. and, And I can almost hear God saying like, man, I'm glad that you understand that it was me that blessed you with everything that you have. That all that provision that you have and all that material, all that material success that you have, that's, I'm glad that you understand that I was the one that gave that to you. 
But I feel like maybe there was still something a little bit missing because he didn't have that trust in God, right? God said, I will take you safely into the land. And he saw the two camps. His camp was there, the camp of man and the camp of God. The angels were walking through and the angels met him. But when it came down to he's worried about his brothers going to kill him and take everything, and he doesn't know what's going to happen to his family. When it came down to that, he didn't have the, the faith, right? He didn't have the courage to understand that, like, okay, if, if the angels are here, I'm going to be fine no matter what happens, right? And so there's something that Jacob kind of missed that he couldn't do it all by himself. He, he was going to try. He split, his, he split his camp into two camps. But the whole time God was saying, no, you had it right the first time. You were there and I was there. You don't need to do all that. You don't need to try to figure it all by yourself. You don't need to try to work it all out by yourself, right? And so here's, here's what I find very interesting. Is that the next part of the narrative in the same chapter Jacob sends his family over the brook, and he's by himself, and he's wondering what's going to happen, and he's probably praying to God. And it says this, that a man wrestled with Jacob. A man wrestled with Jacob. And we know that this was some sort of manifestation of God, right? God came down as a man and wrestled with Jacob. But it doesn't say that Jacob went to wrestle him. It doesn't say that Jacob sought out this fight. It says, a man wrestled with him. And it's basically, Jacob is this man in the flesh, right? But God had to come down and, and work on him a little bit. And God had to say, like, you think you could do it all by yourself, but you're just in this flesh. You can't do it all by yourself. And so God is wrestling with him at the place of two camps. God is wrestling with him near the place of two camps, right? They're, they're near Maenaeum. And God is wrestling with him. And you look at this in the narrative that for Jacob to understand that he can't do all of this by himself. And so he's not really going to have an option because while they're wrestling, I, if I had some of the youth up here, I'd bring them up here or something and have them like play wrestle. Because what God does is they're wrestling and I don't know if Jacob had them in like a chokehold or what, like Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but he had them and he wasn't letting go. And so, so God goes and pops his hip out, pops his hip out, and gives him a limp, right? And even through that, Jacob doesn't let go. But now, Jacob is right where God wants him to be. Jacob is right where it's not his strength. It's not his intellect. It's not what he has or what he does that's going to get him out when he goes to see his brother the next day. It's not what he can offer, and it's not anything in the flesh. But God worked on him, right? And so there he understands, okay, God, all I can do now is rely on you. All I can do is just trust you. And it can seem to us that, you know, I'm trying to do better and things, some things are good, but some things are falling apart. And where are you, God? Where are you in all this, right? And it seems like things aren't working out. And it's almost like you're walking with that limp like Jacob had, right? But he is exactly right there. Because you are exactly right where he wants you to be. You are exactly right where God can do something for you. And God can do something in you and with you. In the affliction. 
in the trial, in the stress, right? So we get, we get to the place where we have to pray, God, I'm going to rely on you because it's really all I can do. It's really all I can do at this point. And so, so Jacob goes, right, and, and all he can do now is just rely on God when, when he goes to see his brother because that fleshly part of him isn't really going to work anymore when he's walking up with a limp. And he's walking up, and he can't really be prideful or arrogant anymore, right? But going back to the two camps, right, it's easy for us to think when we're just at home, right, that our home is just our home, right? Our work is just our work, and we just go, we do our time, and we get out of there as fast as we can, right? Or my car is just my car, and that's it. It just gets me where I need to go, right? But there's something in that message of May and Am in the two camps, that wherever it is that we are, maybe we can't exactly see it, and maybe I don't even fully understand it, but just right there, when I'm at home, it's two camps. It's two camps. When I'm there at work, and it seems to me like it's just the camp of man, and it's just man's doings. But really, when we are there, we bring the Spirit, right? We bring, there's God there. God is there. And we might not even realize that the opportunities that are there that God is wanting to do in the people there. Or we're just driving, going through a drive through and we don't even realize it. But there's something that the Spirit is moving on us to do. There's something that God is calling on us to do that... Uh, I'm not just picking up my Starbucks, but maybe, maybe what I feel right there is God telling me to minister to this person, to talk to this person. And to me, it seemed like it was just the camp of man, but really the camp of God is right there, right there. When you're there at home and you're just singing in the kitchen, right? Or you're just praying in the kitchen or with your children. And it seems like nothing's happening and it seems like nothing's really getting better, but the camp of God is there. The camp of God is there, and your prayers are stacking up. Your prayers are stacking up that they're going to be cashed in because the angels are there, right? The angels are there to carry your prayers to God. The angels are there, right? I think of what Lauren said where she was driving and she got into an accident, right? The angels are there, right? You're at the grocery store, and you get a phone call about a family issue, about a family problem, about something that's going on. The angels are there, right? You have provision there. You have the spirit that's going to encourage you, right? That's going to comfort you, and that's going to bring you love and peace and joy. And so wherever it is that you are, right, it's a double camp. It's a double camp. It's two camps, the camp of man and the camp of God. Or maybe you're in a situation that it's hard to even describe. You can't even find the words, right? I don't even know how to explain, and I don't even know how to start with what's been going on in my life. I can't even begin to say everything that's going wrong. But the ministering angels are with you, right? It's, 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 you, you have that, you have that, you have that popped out hip, right? You have that infirmity, but God is with you and is wanting you to rely on him, right? And I think of it the same way that Elisha, he was there, and the army of Syria is 
surrounding their town, literally surrounding their whole entire town. And his servant goes and he's like, oh my God, what are we going to do? What can we even do? We're being surrounded by chariots. And Elisha goes, there's more with us than there are with them, right? And I imagine the servant looking like the two of us, like (laughs) the two of us and like those village people, there's more with us than there are with them. And Elisha prays, God, open his eyes to see what I'm seeing. Open his eyes to see what's really happening in the spiritual, to see that you're, you're providing for us, that you're working this out on our behalf. You're working this all out for us. And so he prays that, and the servant's eyes are opened, and, and he sees, whoa, wait a second. That whole army that's surrounding us is being surrounded by an even greater army around them, Right? So for us to understand, right, it's not just you. It's not just you by yourself. It's not just any of us, right? It's not just the flesh. It's not just the flesh, but the Spirit is with us, and the Spirit is wanting to help us, right? Wanting to help us. And so we're talking about two camps here. And Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 7 goes like this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, right? The two camps, the camp of man, the camp of the Spirit, the camp of God. To be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind is enmity against God. And so we have to deal with this in this life, this constant this constant tug and pull that Paul writes about in a chapter earlier. He says, there's good that I want to do. I want to do good. But instead, I do the evil. And the evil that I don't want to do, I, that's what I end up doing. There's good that I want to do, but I don't do it. And then the evil that I don't want to do, I end up doing it, right? It's, it's the spirit versus the flesh, and it's the camp of man versus the camp of God. And they're tugging against each other, and we constantly have to deal with this, right? The flesh and the spirit warring against each other. But if I could just tell you guys today, there was a man who was God in flesh. Who was God in flesh. Two camps, one place, Right? Two camps in one place, right? And so Jesus comes, and there's this question. Okay, is, is Jesus a man, or is Jesus God, right? Is he God, or is he man? Like, what is he? Okay, well, same thing. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Both are true at the same time, and it doesn't make any sense to us necessarily, and it might seem counterintuitive, but Jesus was fully God and fully man, and he showed us how to live, right? He, he conquered so that we could have victory in our lives. And so he was Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. And he was tempted as we were in every way, right? Every temptation, everything that we could feel, he had to feel. He was tempted by it, but he didn't surrender to it. And, and just to show how, how strong it can be, right, the flesh, right, giving in to the camp of man, that it seems to me that 
I'm just by myself, or it seems to me that the flesh is winning, right? Or it seems to me that this flesh is too strong, right? To show like how, how much of a hold the flesh, not how much of a hold the flesh can have, but, but just to illustrate how tough it can be, Jesus himself had to pray in the garden of Gethsemane, if this cup could pass from me, if this cup could pass from me. And it says that he prayed so hard that he sweated and it was almost like blood, right? That he had to pray so hard, if this cup could pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus himself had to pray it three times, right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so for each of us, right? But we follow Jesus as our pattern because he was able to conquer. He was able to conquer and he conquered the flesh and he conquered anything that could come against us, right? Anything that could come against us. Any, any sort of infirmity, any sort of doubt, any sort of temptation, any sort of sin, he conquered it. And he wasn't given to it. It was the camp of God succeeding over the camp of man, right? Succeeding over the flesh. So we followed Jesus as our pattern. And so if he needed to pray, how much more do we need to give ourselves to prayer? Give ourselves to the Spirit, right? Surrender to the Spirit. Surrender to the things of God, right? And Jesus said, I am that comforter. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I will come to you. I am that Spirit. That's what Jesus said, right? So we have the Spirit working in our lives, and we don't have to be given to the things of the flesh. We don't have to be given to the things of this life, but the Spirit is working in us, and it's the comforter. It's Jesus, But for each of us, I must increase, and he must increase. I mean, did I say that right? I might not have said it right. Okay, I didn't say it right. I must decrease. I must not increase. I must not increase. (laughs) I must decrease. I must abase myself, right? I will make myself lowly. I must decrease. He must increase. He must increase. I need more of him in every facet of my life, right? And, and I, I keep going back to this because it, it seems like uh, I think that I'm just doing the ordinary when I'm in the kitchen. Or you might think that's just the ordinary when you're spending time with your kids or when you're, when you're going through the Bible with your kids and you're just teaching them a few verses and you're just teaching them the stories of Genesis and Exodus and, and David and Goliath. And it might, seem like, it might seem like you don't really feel it so much in those moments, but God is with you in those moments. God is with you in your home. God is with you in your car when you pray those prayers that, that you wouldn't pray when everyone else is around. God is with you right there to minister to you, to encourage you. And so there are spiritual things. There are higher things that God is wanting our church to operate in, right? That, that when we feel that, that kind of tug of the spirit, that that person right there, that I just did a double take, that normally I wouldn't help, but I feel the tug of the Spirit that, that God is wanting me to do something. And in my flesh, yeah, I just want to go home. Or in my flesh, 
I don't want to really spend the time. But in the spirit, operating in the spirit, working in the spirit, right? Obeying the spirit, listening to what God is wanting to do, right? There's higher things that God is wanting us to operate in. There's higher things that God is wanting us to, to work in, right? And so it says this in John chapter 6, verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing, right? So to, to operate in the spirit, to work in the spirit, to think in the spirit. God, what is it that you're wanting to do today? God, what is your desire? God, how can I see your kingdom come? How can I see your will done on earth? as it is in heaven, right? And so I'm, I'm going to be finishing up here soon. As the musicians come. But he conquered, right? Jesus. He was God in flesh. God, he was incarnate. God manifested in flesh, right? And he conquered. He conquered the flesh. He was one man, Two camps, the camp of, or he was one, but he was the camp of man and the camp of God operating in the same place at the same time. And it doesn't necessarily all make sense to us, but he conquered everything. He conquered everything, and his spirit in us allows us to do that too. If we surrender to the spirit, if we walk in the spirit, right? And I pray that, that, this church, that you would be encouraged in the spirit, that where it is that you are, that you're not in the wrong place, right? And it just seems like ordinary, and it just seems like mundane what I'm doing, but you're not in the wrong place, right? Where you are is where God is. Where you are is where God is, where the spirit is wanting to move. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, right? So we can walk in that. We can walk in that freedom, and we can walk in that. We can walk in that liberty and everything that God is, has for us. Amen? Jesus' name. And so, if you would all stand. I just really pray that in those moments where it seems like, man, I'm all by myself. Man, I'm struggling through this trial. And it feels like my hips popped out. And it feels like I can't walk right and I can't talk right and I can't do things right. That for each of us to understand God is with you. God is wanting to help you. God is wanting to encourage you and to lift you up. That wherever you are, God is there. Wherever you are, God is there. He's God with us. He's Emmanuel. And it didn't stop when he rose, but the Spirit came down to work in our lives. He's God with us. And so I understand that people are going to, you know, have to work tomorrow. But if you would just pray however it is that you feel comfortable. 
Jesus, in your name, God, we look to you, God. Jesus, that you would fulfill your word, God, to the weary soul. Jesus, to someone that's crying out for you, God, to someone that's looking for you, God, to someone that can't see it today, God, but that you would open their eyes, Lord, to everything that you're doing in their lives, that you would open their eyes to see how you're working in their lives, how you're doing things on their behalf, that the way things are aren't always going to be how it's going to be. But Jesus, you have plans for them, plans for good, not of evil, God. Jesus, of an expected end, Lord. Jesus, that you're working things out for them, God, as they raise their families, Lord, as they go to work, God, just there in their homes, God, when they're there by themselves, God, you're with them, Lord, you're ministering to them, you're moving in their midst, God, you're moving in their midst, and you're touched by their infirmities, God, and you want to lift off of them, Lord, that Jesus in your name, God, for this church, God, to work, Lord, and to operate in everything that you're calling us to do, God, in everything that you're calling us to do in your kingdom, God. Jesus, in your name, God, looking to you, Lord, the author and the finisher of our faith, Lord, to do the things that only you can, God, to touch the things that only you can, to reach the things that only you can, God. Jesus, that we could truly see it, God, that we could see it, you working in our lives, Lord, that we could see it in this place, God. Jesus, knowing that you came, God, so that we could have victory, Lord, victory in your spirit, God victory in your spirit, Lord. Freedom in your spirit, God. Where your spirit is, is freedom. And that's here right now, God. And everyone that's watching, there's freedom, there's liberty. There's liberty right here. Jesus in your name. Jesus in your name. And we declare that over our lives. We declare that. Amen. These these altars are open if you want to come down and spend some time in the altar. You're dismissed if you have to leave. But the provision of God is here for you. God is here right now. God is here and his spirit is evident and wants to move and to comfort you right here, right now. In Jesus' name.